we are going to dig deeper into episode one of The Mandalorian. This is a, a show we're going to do weekly after every Mandalorian episode comes out. I am Jay Shear. I'm the author of the time travel novel Time Slingers. And with me on today's show to dig deeper, three Star Wars story geeks who all speak fluent Hutties. Daryl Smith, Ashley Pauls, and a special guest, Victoria Fox. How are you guys today? Yay, so good. Now, now, how many people do you think actually speak fluent Hutties? I think a better question is how many people on the podcast right now have heard of that language before you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is us Because I'm not raising already. my hand. <laughs> I haven't so, heard of it. Do not speak it. Yeah. What is it? Same. Hutties is the is the language of Jabba the Hutt. Uh, is is, well, that makes sense. Yeah, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's, it is also what's being spoken in uh, most of the uh, beginning sequences of the Mandalorian. So when he walks in, when he walks mm-hmm. in the room, and they're into, and he's like, they're those two guys are messing with the Horatio Sands character. Um, when that happens, the bounty is his name. When they're messing with him, they're speaking Hatties. So, yeah, Jabba Nobanda. He does speak fluent. He's been teasing us the whole time. So, are you guys ready to dig deeper into episode one of The Mandalorian? Yes. Yes. Okay, so before I jump into the questions, I just wanted to put a couple details out there because I think I've seen people wondering about some of this stuff, and it just gives context to what you watched when you watched episode one of The Mandalorian. So, The Mandalorian takes place a few years after the events of Return of the Jedi. And about 20 or so years before the events of The Force Awakens. So we're dealing with a gap between The Return of the Jedi and um, The Force Awakens. That's what we're time frame we're in, but closer to Return of the Jedi. For more context, Mandalorians are actually people from a planet called Mandalore. Uh, and they are a very war-minded people, a very warrior-focused culture. So that's just some things to know about Mandalorians before you actually jump in. This has nothing to do, based uh, on uh, existing knowledge, with Boba Fett. <laughs> I don't know if you will fear or not, but there is, it's, not, it's not Boba Fett. We've been told that. Correct. So, Boba um, Fett's not even technically a Mandalorian, is he? Isn't he just a clone? He's a clone he's a of a clone of a, yes. Yeah. yeah. I would love to get your brief reaction. Everybody on a scale of 1 to IG-11. <laughs> Which is the, yes, the yes. in the in the thing. Oh so eleven God. being the best. How much did you like episode one? And then give me the three things you liked, and maybe even if you find three things you didn't like, or maybe you hated the show, and you can easily find three things you didn't like. Either way, Victoria, what did you think of episode one of The Mandalorian? Oh man, going first. Um, I would say an IG eleven. Nice, I loved it. Um. I three things I liked. Um, I'm big on like creatures and aliens, and I miss seeing kind of the older species from the original trilogy and stuff like that. And so them having that new creature in the beginning and seeing some of the old, it was really nice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I love the music. I think it's so different, but it's still familiar in a way, and I really love that. Um, and I loved that last like ending imagery shot. And then all the concept art after it was just, it just ended so nicely. (laughs) Um, Three things I disliked. um, I, this is like very nitpicky stuff because I honestly don't have anything really bad to say. Um, I was sad that Cara Dune wasn't in it yet or like any of the other really cool women that we've seen cast. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish that there were planet names maybe that popped up, like kind of how in Rogue One, they kind of had the little planet name off to the side before they showed the person mm-hmm. on the planet um, just because I'm nosy and I want to know what planet he's on. And then right. that's kind of it. I mean, the whole um, monkey lizard thing made me a little sad. <laughs> 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 but it was also like a little funny. So, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't have like serious critiques here. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> I loved, good. That's I good. love it so much. So that's perfect. IG 11, there's no way that you can go higher than that. So that's, that's, well, I almost said IG 88, but you know, Oh, there you go. That would have worked too. Maybe it's too high. I don't know. (laughs) That would have worked. I would have liked that. Um, Ashley, what about you? What'd you think? Yeah, I would say I agreed with a lot of that. I would give it a nine out of IG 11. I think Mm -hmm. my favorite thing about this show is how much it really does feel like a classic, 
classic Western in the Star Wars universe, which is really the vibe that I was hoping it would go for. At least from what we know of him right now, the Mandalorian very much feels like a Clint Eastwood, the man with no name type character. And I'm all about that. The special effects were great. I thought they were almost film quality on the same level as kind of like Game of Thrones, I'd say. And I also agree about the music. It feels really different from the type of John Williams music we're used to hearing from the films, but very cool. And I think kind of adds to that Western vibe as well. There was really only one weakness that I saw, and I'd say that the plot felt maybe just a little bit thin. We didn't get to dig really deeply into any of the characters, but that's kind of par for the course with the pilot episode of a new TV show, I feel like. So I think the show is just going to keep getting better and better from here, and I really like what we've seen so far. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. So very similar, very similar so far. Daryl? Well, I was going to quote our buddy Michael Young and say 10 on 10 on 10, but then you did IG-11. <laughs> so That's right. I guess it's an IG-11 on IG-11 on IG-11 for Perfect. me. Yes. Perfect. Um, I really loved it. I thought it was one of the best, you know, quote unquote TV shows I've ever seen. I hesitate to even call this a TV show because oh. I feel like Disney Plus is sort of evolving us beyond what a TV show. I mean, it looked just like a movie oh totally mm -hmm. it looked way oh, better yeah. than, than the prequels yeah the it looked just as good insane. as anything else yeah so i'm like i'm not watching a tv show here i'm watching a short movie yeah exactly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean ig11 was amazing that gunfight was insane super fun <laughs> i really enjoyed um is it quill uh the character that nick nolte voiced i think it's Kroll, isn't it i have to look it up it's, you it's might be right k-u-i-l-l okay -L -L. Oh, okay maybe i just read it wrong yeah so, Quill. And what, however it's pronounced, I really liked him. They I never said the whole, actual name. So I have no. spoken. And then I actually, sorry, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, this is like a really random tidbit, but if you yeah. hashtag that on Twitter, there's a little, his little face is next to it. If you hashtag that on Twitter. Does it say amazing. I have spoken over and yeah, over yeah. again? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I thought it was crazy how that character actually looks like Nick Nolte a little bit. Yeah. And then the, I think the other thing that I liked about it might actually be Ashley and Tori, something that you guys didn't like about it. I liked that we didn't get too much yet. I liked how mysterious it was mm -hmm. and how sort of really simple and basic it was. Cause for me, it seems like a super cool place to start. And then there's a ton to build on mm. into mm -hmm. really, really cool stuff to come. Yeah. As far as what I didn't like, there's really not a whole lot. I have kind of a weird little quirk about Werner Herzog, which we'll get to later oh, on okay. when we have that question. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but um, there's really not much I didn't like. I thought it was awesome. Okay. I gave it an IG 10 and a half. Now, the reason why is because I just feel like it'd be really hard on episode one for me to give it an 11. And I'm not one of those people who won't give a perfect score, but on the first episode, I'm like, oh, I, I'm so intrigued and I love it so much, but uh, I kind of want to see where they go with it first before I just fully dive into it's my favorite show of all time because that's what I want to say. <laughs> have you ever seen a better like pilot episode of a I don't, show? I don't think life? I have. I don't, yeah, no. I don't think so. I thought it was so good. I'm like, wow, and it's probably going to get better from here. How do, how mm -hmm. do I deal yeah. with this? How do I deal with it? Yeah. The only <laughs> I mean, thing I'll say is the Heroes pilot. I loved that pilot. And I just watched yeah. the Watchmen pilot and the Watchmen pilot was phenomenal. Maybe Stranger oh, Things. Really? Stranger mm, Things. Yes. Oh, right. yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. So I don't know. Pilots are sometimes easier, I think, too. Because sometimes they're horrible, but sometimes they're actually they're more intriguing than the rest of what they deliver. Yeah, and I guess in this case, <laughs> technically, it's not a pilot because a pilot is right. an episode that they use to sell to the studio, right? And, that's and I agree, was, by the way, but... all of my positives and negatives almost fall in direct alignment with what you guys have mentioned already, but the production design is unbelievable, super, super mm -hmm. reminiscent of the original trilogy. The world building and the pacing suck you totally into it. Um, it's a total space western, which I love. Uh, three things I didn't like. Um, like Tori, I thought the music was amazing but there was like a couple tracks that really threw me like that i was like whoa that's a weird that's a weird option on that specific track so like one to two of them out of like the 10 that they used because they used quite a the variants of the same but a lot of different stuff too um some of the cameos i felt distracted by the first time i watched it i was trying to figure out like wait who is that i know who that is but like, let me figure it out you know like and that kind of distracted me from things. But again, they actually did panned out okay in the end. So I mean, that's not really that big of a complaint. I, I literally had to the... find three things. 
Were you waiting for the Mandalorian to walk up to Carl Weathers and like lock arms with him and bulge their muscles out? <laughs> yeah. That was the scene. I was like, where is this scene? Where is it? Yeah. Um, and then there was literally only one scene where I felt the CG was not great. Every other scene, it was phenomenal. So Which that one scene? scene there's, a, there's one scene when they're on, uh, when they're writing the blurgs. Yeah. And they're headed away from the camera towards the edge of the cliff. It's the only scene that they don't look like they belong in that space. Yeah, um, no, I, I kind of hmm. said, I slightly, I did kind of see at one point, and I'm not great at pointing out these kind of things. My boyfriend is the one that'll be like, oh my God, did you see that? And I'll be like, what? And I'll be like, they cut it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But I did kind of notice this, like a little bit of a weird something when yeah. they were on the blurgs. So I do agree yeah. on that. But. It's not quite there, but, but you know what? Like, again, most of the CG is so phenomenal that like that little tiny hiccup for a TV show, that's amazing, by the way. So what oh, I'm complaining about yeah. is like, <laughs> like ridiculous. I don't have anything valid to complain about here. Well, yeah, that's like uh, my complaints were like really dumb. I'm like, oh, they're just, these are the things I like to have seen, but like it's perfect anyway. So exactly, <laughs> exactly. And what does John Favreau really know about special effects anyway, right? I mean, he's a newbie. <laughs> that's true. That's, true. <laughs> that's very true. He doesn't know anything, does he? Lion King, um, Jungle Book. By the way, we have Jim. Jim Baldwin is with us. What's up, Jim? Hey, Jim. Um, so I think most people probably caught the two cameos. For, for those of you who didn't, Horatio Sands, which is amazing that he's in there. Took me a few minutes though. Oh, me I was too. Like I know that voice. That's why I was so distracted. <laughs> That's why I mentioned it. It was so distracting. Her Horatio Sands, and then also Brian. Uh, I think you not pronounce his name Posen. Brian Posen. Posen, I think it's Posen. Posen. Okay, that'll work. Not sure. Posen, one yeah. of the two. They both appear in episode one. Uh, Horatio is the bounty, and Posen, however you pronounce his name, yeah. is the speeder pilot. We also saw Bill Burr in the trailer. So here's my stupid question yes. of the day. Does anybody know why there are so many comedians in this show? <laughs> Daryl, can you explain that to me? I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, but... I do think that if a comedian has some degree of acting chops, they can add a cool perspective mm. to a dramatic piece. I'm not talking about like a comedian who transforms for a dramatic role, like like a Steve Carell or like Adam Sandler in like Spanglish or Uncut Gems or stuff like that. I mean like somebody who's being funny, but in a way that fits the narrative. Uh and I really wanted to come up with examples for you and sound smart, <laughs> and I had trouble doing that. The best one that, that came to mind is not going to sell it because it's not a good movie, but it's uh, Thomas Middleditch in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, uh, which is not a good movie, but <laughs> he was really cool. And, like He was yeah, still yeah. a little bit funny, but he wasn't overbearing. You know, It wasn't like I'm the comedy relief guy. It was right. just like I'm kind of lighthearted, and I bring that to my character. Sure, yeah. sure. But it can be distracting if they use it too much. Obviously. Yeah. Ashley, what do you think? Why are, they, why are these comedians showing up here? Well, I am embarrassed to admit that I'm one of those people who didn't get either cameo. So <laughs> it just seemed like a regular episode to me. So I figured maybe they're friends with John Favreau or something. They got a fun little cameo, but that's about all I've got. Yeah. What do you think, Tori? Um, I'm like halfway where she is. I wasn't, I didn't really recognize a Horatio Sands, but I did recognize, um, Brian, I, I'm not sure. I don't want to slaughter his last name, but I recognized him. I was like, I know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? Um, I kind of agree with what you were saying earlier, which was like um, comedians can give maybe an interesting bit of perspective. Um, so I think it's it's partially them maybe trying to, and I do think that they succeeded in kind of like a very subtle comedy throughout this episode, which I really, really liked. Um, but additionally, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, just them kind of everyone knowing each other and wanting to involve everyone in this really cool project and kind of wanting to, I don't know, bring their friends in. I feel like say, that, saying that sounds bad. I'm not saying that like, they're just like, oh, my friend, like clearly your friend's also <laughs> a very talented actor and you want to bring them into the mix. Right, right. Potentially it's that kind of a thing. I have I have a, uh, a marketing business reason I think they're doing it. Uh, Right now, if you look at streaming services, comedians are blowing up because streaming mm. services need content and they're buying comedy specials like crazy because comedy specials, relatively speaking to shows like this, are really cheap to produce. It's just one person standing on stage most of the time, right? So they're a little bit cheaper to produce. They can throw like a million dollars at a comedian, uh, a pretty good 
sized comedian and get a pretty big audience for that comedian right off the bat. And if you guys have noticed, not only are the streaming services uh, doing the comedian thing, but so too are comedians doing podcasts, a bunch of podcasts. So I think that they basically are like, hey, look, free promotion. We get all these guys who are like showing up and pro probably female comedians too in the future, but they, they're all showing up on all of these streaming services all over the place, all of our competitors. And they're going to go on their podcast and talk about our streaming service and invite people to come watch them in the show that they did. So that's my yeah. Disney, Disney plus conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> Interesting yeah, but, theory. Yeah. But that sort of makes Horatio Sands and Brian Posehn odd choices because they're not stand-ups per se. That's true. Like That's they're true. actors. They're more. They're, they're Although more I think Brian acting. has done some stand up. Yeah, but I Bill Burr is a hardcore stand up. So if he's in, I I right. don't really know what he looks like, so I wouldn't have noticed him. But yeah, if he's going to be in it, he's in the trailer for like a half a second. If I can backtrack, yeah. I just thought of the absolute perfect example of what I'm talking about. <laughs> perfect comedian in a dramatic piece. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have been watching Star Trek Discovery. But season two, um, Tig Notaro is on season two oh, and has hilarious. a role, and she's fantastic. Okay, perfect. I can see her being a great actress too. That makes sense. Okay, so that was a ridiculous question, and we don't like usually do a lot of those. But I just had to throw it out there. I'm like, what is going on here? This is crazy. <laughs> but this is more what we do as story geeks. We dive a little bit deeper. So I want to ask you guys. Actually, I'll start with you on this one. The Mandalorian is a bounty hunter. So do you find him as a lead character compelling? And if so, why do we want to root for him? Yeah, I think that we're drawn in right away by the sense of mystery surrounding this character. He's always wearing a helmet, so we don't get to see his face, and we kind of have to guess what he's thinking and feeling. I think humans are naturally curious. You know, we want to learn more about and try to understand what we don't know. So I think the decision to keep the title character a bit of an enigma works really well in terms of building suspense and motivating us to keep watching. And what's interesting to me is that even despite the mask, we do get to catch little glimpses of the Mandalorian's humanity, like when we see some flashes of his backstory, which looks pretty traumatic. I'm sure the show is going to dig deeper into that. And then we see him unexpectedly show some mercy to a target at the end of the episode, which I'm sure we'll get into more later. So I like this idea of starting with this very mysterious character that we don't know very well. And the show is, I think, going to peel back layers as we go episode by episode. And I'm really intrigued to find out what more they're going to reveal about this character. Mm, absolutely. Tori, what do you think? Why do we why do we care about it? Do you find him compelling? And then why do you root for him? I absolutely find him compelling. Um, I feel like I'm kind of, in a way, the wrong person to ask this question to because I've been like, when I was very little obsessed with Mandalorian. So I've, <laughs> I'm already kind of, I'm already there. You know what I mean? Like I'm already ready to root for this guy. Um, but um, this is the type of series I've always, series I've always wanted. Um, I've always wanted this kind of focusing more on the um, bounty hunters, the smugglers, like maybe the seedier parts of society. And um, I think really uh, kind of going back to um, what Ashley said, um, he has a questionable profession, but I think that we've already seen that there's some sort of honor in him, the way that he reacts. And so I think that's very, very interesting. It's very interesting to see someone who has a job that, you know, it, it's not that cut and dry for him as it may be for someone else that has that job. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. What do you think, Daryl? I think he's totally compelling. I mean, Boba Fett was one of the coolest characters from the original trilogy. Yeah without having really done anything on the screen. <laughs> right, right, right. He just was there. Yeah, he just looked cool and then got eaten by a giant dirt worm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is sort of the payoff for that, right? Like everybody thinks the Mandalorians look cool, whether they know the word Mandalorian or not. Right. And yeah, this is sort of the payoff. But I'm not 100% sure if I do want to root for him yet. Oh. I don't know if I know enough about him, but I'm definitely relating to him in a way. A few, th a few things stand out. So... Ashley, you mentioned not being able to see his face. Um, and I think they do a really, really good job of giving us like his emotion, despite the fact that we can't see his face. Mm -hmm. But he's clearly in a struggle with his circumstances, and he's trying to overcome something. Yeah. So that's relatable to me. Um, he's willing to accept help from others, mm. like Quill and IG-11. So he sees some worth in trust, right. I think. Yeah. And then finding the the Yoda like baby or I, 
I have no idea what to call that. <laughs> um, uh, he like, you know, like was mentioned before he had, it gave him pause to find that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that indicates some degree of decency. within Yeah. Him. Yeah. We are going to dive into that too in, in a bit. Um, I agree a hundred percent with everything Tori said. Cause I totally fall into that same bucket. I'm like, who cares about the Jedi? Give me some more bounty hunters. And stuff. <laughs> Honestly, and I, I always felt so bad for like being that way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still, obviously there's stories that I love that involve the Jedi, but that's never been what's drawn me. And so to have this is just, oh, I've been waiting my whole it's life. The for best. This. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, what I, as a writer, I tend to think, I start to think too, like, okay, well, what about this character specifically? And then even characters that are like the Mandalorian. Um, so I think anti-heroes, we've done an entire show on anti-heroes before that you can go back and listen to on the, on the story geeks podcast. But I think anti-heroes are compelling because we are drawn to them for three reasons. They're doing whatever they want. So they seem incredibly free to determine their own destiny. And I think we all like appreciate that. We're like, oh, that's true freedom, man. Just run around the galaxy doing kind of whatever you want to. Um, two, I think that they aren't subject to a specific moral code, which means that we're instantly intrigued about what they will or won't do or where they'll draw the line. You can yeah. both kind of mention that, Tori and Ashley both mentioned that, which makes us want to watch them because we're compelled by which decision are they going to make in this given this situation. And then finally, I think the third reason is because I we don't know what decisions they'll make. And so we have to participate in their moral choices by asking ourselves what we would do in their shoes. Mm -hmm. And because there's, yeah. some, there's some characters where it's like, okay, I know what that character is going to do. Right. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jedi is going to make the right call. Always. Exactly. Bounty exactly. hunters that, that kind of, they could go either way. They could go either way. So you never know. So yeah, I think anti-heroes are often conflicted and because of that internal conflict, we can associate with them because a lot of times we have internal conflict. Just think about the number of times when you're like, I need to make a good decision here. And then your brain is trying to figure out how I can make a bad decision and get away with it. <laughs> right. Like, and so I think that like that, because we have that nature about us, um, it makes these characters really interesting. And I think that uh, we can root for them because we want to see people fight injustice like for example, like we we assume we tend to assume that most of the bounties are bounties for a reason. Like these people need to be captured and brought back for justice. Um, but the bounty hunter isn't sub subject to the systemic problems that come with the institution, right? Like that come with the empire. So I think it makes just this incredibly compelling character that you're kind of like, I have to watch everything that this person does because it's so interesting and it just draws me in and makes me consider the same things. Um, so yeah, I, I obviously love it. I think it's amazing. Um, so this question actually came from Ashley. So Ashley Pauls uh, is it, actually sent me this question. It's a great question. Um, do you guys think the Mandalorian will ever remove his helmet? And what does that indicate about his character? So actually, I'm going to start with you since it's your question. Yeah, I think that I'd like to see the Mandalorian keep his helmet on for most of the first season, just to continue that sense of mystery and to keep us guessing about his character. And I think it's so interesting to see what an actor can do behind a mask, because I think that Pedro Pascal is doing a great job adding subtleties to his performance, even though we can't see his face. Like Daryl said, you can kind of see hints of emotion, see hints of what he's thinking. And I think that's just a great testament to an actor's ability that even if you can't see their face, you can still see what they're bringing to the performance. And I kind of see it a little bit like Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. Like even when he's wearing the mask, we can still guess what's going on inside Kylo's head. And it's mm -hmm. a really big moment in The Force Awakens when he finally removes that mask in front of Rey and he lets himself be vulnerable. And I want the Mandalorian to take off his helmet in a moment that has a similar significance. It should be this big emotional moment, I think, that's important to both the character's personal development and the plot as a whole. I don't know what moment that could be or what it would look like, but I definitely want it to be a significant moment, kind of symbolizing him making a connection with someone or committing to a cause. But I'm really curious to see what they do with that and how long they maintain the mystery. Mm, yeah, I like that. Daryl, what do you think? I'm so torn. <laughs> um, I love the mystery of the helmet. And I think they communicate his struggle, even in the first episode, so well without having it removed. Mm. And um, 
nothing wrong with Pedro Pascal. Right. This, he's a you know, good-looking dude, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, once you take it off, I don't think you can get that mystery back, even mm -hmm. if even if he puts it back yeah. on for other scenes. You know what I mean? So I'm mm -hmm. like... I, I mean, I I do want to see deeper storytelling and, and getting to see his face and stuff, but yeah. not yet. I, I might, I'd might i even be good for like a whole season of mystery and then have him take it off at the end of the season or something. And then, yeah. yeah, yeah, that could be good. All right. Tori, what do you think? You guys have basically said everything that I <laughs> thought. <laughs> like, I think that it'll, I would prefer for him to take a, quite a while to remove it. Like most of the first season. Heck, maybe even two seasons, but I agree that I think it needs to be a very significant moment whenever he does remove the helmet. Um, I also think him wearing that helmet is also in a way him kind of shielding himself and kind of having his guard up because it does seem like he's had a difficult past. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, 100% on board with the whole, you know, it's Pedro Pascal's face. I'll never be mad about seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> so if he takes it off the next episode, like it is what it is. I'm fine with it. But I, I think the mystery is is pretty cool and I would like to see more of that. So maybe the real mystery is if he takes it off, will he have a mustache? <laughs> That's the real question. Think, yes, I've been thinking about that so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I think I agree with everything you guys are saying. Um I, I started to reminisce as I was looking at this question about um all of the moments where characters remove their masks in star wars because star wars definitely sets masks up as ways for people to remove themselves from vulnerability and remove themselves from mm -hmm. intimacy yes and yes. yet you see like when luke and uh, luke and han and chewie go to rescue leia he what does he do he takes off his helmet like i'm mm -hmm. now i'm going to be here with you and present with you um leia saving han in return of the jedi in jabba's palace she she brings han out of the carbonite is like just just kind of like uh holding him in her arms and she takes off her mask again showing vulnerability and showing intimacy um vader being saved by luke in return of the jedi i mean he's like big huge character moments you already brought up kylo um, of course, Kylo is a big deal with in his interactions with Ray and with others, right? When he, when he's when he's his mask is gone, he's very vulnerable. But when his mask mm -hmm. is on, he's very much a loner. Um, so I think as, as long as the the Mandalorian has the mask, he's going to be this loner type of character. And I think Ashley, you pointed to him um, being like the man with no name, sort of like this loner type of character. So. I agree with you guys a hundred percent. If they're going to reveal his face, it's going to need to be, they're going to have to give him a real good reason to put it back on after he's taken it off. It's yeah. almost like you've got to go through some kind of tragic situation where the person who he reveals himself to is, is killed or something. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be, that's the kind of vibe I'm getting with this character. So um, I think we're all in agreement on that. So Good stuff. Uh, now, I already talked about the show not being about Boba Fett, but it obviously pays homage to him, um, including the freezing of the bounties in Carbonite. And by the way, I changed this question a little bit on you guys, so this is going to be a little bit of a little bit of a change from what I sent over your way. Um, and by the way, I think that the freezing Carbonite was actually Vader's original idea, right? I don't think that was a Boba Fett idea. It seemed like it was a Vader thing. I, I couldn't I just I always just associated it with Boba Fett so I thought it was like when I watched the show I'm like oh that's just what a Mandalorian bounty hunter does or I don't know I just I, felt like it uh, didn't stand out to me well because Boba Fett tells Vader like he's no good to me dead kind of like like if you're mm, gonna do this yeah. it's gotta work right so yeah. um so well, my thought process I, go ahead so sorry uh, so I did like a smidge of research on this because when you when you when I read the question I was like huh so and I haven't watched the Clone Wars that's part of the reason I'm really excited about um, Disney Plus is because I haven't been able to watch the Clone Wars in a really long time um, all the way through the animated series and um, it seems like Anakin actually did it in one of the episodes and he was kind of like which technically speaking is Darth Vader but I guess the that idea has existed prior to Oh, Empire. Yes. That is excellent research. That is hard hitting so, journalism right here. I like it. Now, and that's what the internet told me. Not 100% sure. <laughs> I didn't have time <laughs> to like find the episode and watch, but. <laughs> so here's so here's the, the question I have for you, just based on the fact that like 
obviously this is a Mandalorian. He looks very similar to Boba Fett. He's using some of the same techniques that we've seen Boba Fett use, which might come from the planet Mandalore. I don't think we know that for sure. But my question is, do so I'm changing the question on you guys. Do you think we're going to see Boba Fett in this series make an appearance of some kind? Will they do a throwback? Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Daryl, why don't you give us your thoughts first? I, I mean, hope not. no, I just, I love the fact that we are looking at the concept of the Mandalorians outside of Boba Fett. Like, I don't need Boba Fett to be a part of this. Mm. I'm super intrigued by this dude, and I don't even know his name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know more about him than I ever knew about Boba Fett. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of don't. I don't want Boba Fett to be involved. I like, I like the bits we've gotten already, like yeah. another IG unit, a creature that looks like Yoda. Like, I like those things here and there. We don't need. I don't need. Yeah. An actual character from the Star Wars saga to come into this. Right. Right. Okay. That's one take. Yeah. Tori, what do you think? Um, I largely agree with that. Um, I think I like he definitely doesn't need to be a significant character or anything like that. I would say maybe some sort of slight nod to him at some point. Why not? But I'm not really. I I think I'm already so invested in this character and all of the awesome other characters that we've yet to meet. Like I don't I don't. That's fine. <laughs> it can stay over there. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Ashley. What do you think? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything everyone has said. I love Boba Fett. I think he's super cool, but I think having him in the show would take away from these new characters and this new setting. And something I would like to kind of see them do subtly, though, is contrast the Mandalorian with Boba Fett. You know, we see Boba Fett as this pretty ruthless guy who's really just in it for himself. And I think that there's more nuance to the Mandalorian than that. So I don't want them to see, like to do a direct tie to Boba Fett, but I would like to see the show kind of subtly contrast some of the Mandalorian's decisions and personality with what we know of Boba Fett. Mm, yeah, I like that. I think the prequels just kind of ruined Boba Fett for me. Like, see him as a kid Boba? Yeah. Baby Boba like, ruined Go it? Dad! Or, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. And just the concept of him being a clone and stuff like that, I'm like... yeah. Too much info. It's like you went from a character that was so cool because of his mystery, yeah, yeah. all the way to kind of a, a devaluing, stupid explanation for where this character comes from. Right. You know what I mean? It's like right. he's so mysterious, and ah, nah, screw it. He's not anything important. You know. I do think George in the prequels was trying to make a few characters more special, and kind of did the opposite. Yeah. Right. Like he, I think he was trying to make Boba Fett more special. I think he was trying to say like midi chlorians made people more special, and people were like, "No, I need the mystery. I don't need that other stuff." You know? Then just make Boba be the one that all the clones were created from. Have him be uncharacteristically, like he doesn't age for some reason. Like I, you <laughs> know, I don't know. Thing. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I so I agree with you guys. I I don't need to see Boba Fett at all. He's one of my favorite characters, but I'm I'm happy with him where. He's at the bottom of the Starlock pit. Um, uh, but uh, actually, I think they reversed that, by the way, in the uh, in the canon. I think he may have escaped at some point. Or maybe it's Legends, but some, somewhere he escaped. Uh, the one thing I do think we'll get, I think we're going to get some piece of his armor. Yeah, that's mm. what I feel like at some point, helmet, something's yep. going to something's going to turn up. Yeah, it agree. feels like the armor is going to evolve over the course of the yes. show. Yes, I agree. That's exciting. It. Yeah, that's cool. The armor, the whole armor scene, it's almost like playing a video game where you come back and you get to level up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> that's cool. I like it. Um, okay, so let's go over to, uh, again, kind of digging deeper into some themes here, but also just questioning where we think this story is headed. Um, when the Mandalorian accepts the off-the-record bounty, he then goes to a room full of stormtroopers. And so my question to you guys is, do you think the bounty offered by Werner Herzog's character, who's called just the client, <laughs> um, is an Imperial bounty? Do you think the Imperials are paying for this bounty? And what do you think about the stormtroopers being there? Tori, why don't we start with you on this one? Okay, I got a whole theory about like the connection of the actual bounty with them and everything. I'll save that most of that for the end. 
But okay. <laughs> I think, sorry, I've been thinking about this a lot, guys. Um, but so I, what I think is happening is it's, you know, war, war's over. They lost. This section of Imperials are not over it. And they're still banding together and they're still trying to further their cause. So that's what I think is happening with that. Mm. I like it. Daryl, what do you think? Uh, it hit me differently. Mm. I feel like um, they are not connected to the Empire. They're just capitalizing on the fall of the Empire. And um, Ooh, That's interesting. And so uh, Werner Herzog is, or the client, is, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get to why he is quirky for me, but um, <laughs> I think he's just capitalizing on it and trying to make a name for himself in a world where the Empire's grip is looser. Oh, okay. And I th I feel like those stormtrooper uh, uniforms, mm. especially since they're so dirty yeah. and so beaten up, I'm I feel like they just got those somehow, either from scavenging oh. or from oh. taking some stormtroopers out mm. and stealing them. See, yeah. I, I took that as because um, uh, one of the first things I I so backstory I went to the I was in the panel at Star Wars Celebration, and so that first scene was one of the things they showed us, and. What I saw, those one of the first things I saw was the stormtroopers. And to me, it kind of read as um, stormtroopers that were still trying to continue what they were doing prior, but they didn't have the tools necessary to like upkeep their uniforms and their materials. Mm. Like they're not cleaning them every day. They don't have this regimented life anymore. Yeah, very well could be. But I actually really enjoy the idea of um, what you were saying. Yeah, so, mm. hmm, that's just how it struck me. But so okay, so my Werner Herzog thing. Yeah, let's hear it. So um, <laughs> it's not that exciting, but <laughs> yeah, um, I've been waiting this whole time. It better be amazing. <laughs> so uh, there's there's a comedian named Paul F. Tompkins, who um is a regular on Comedy Bang Bang. Okay. And comedy. Is he Bang also Bang. an extra in this because does he have a cameo. He might later on. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> okay. But he um he's hilarious and. If you don't know what Comedy Bang Bang is, it's a long-form improv show. Mm. Um, Podcast Now was a TV show for a while. but And he appears as several different characters on the show. Okay. One of his characters is Werner Herzog. Oh, really? And he's so <laughs> funny as this character. <laughs> and so my wife and I, when we were watching this, we literally just started laughing out loud when Herzog came on screen. <laughs> once you hear Paul F. Tompkins do his impression, you'll never be able to take the guy seriously again. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Oh so my God. So funny. I love that character. So yeah. I mean, I may not listen to any of the comedy just for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> he did a great job. I'm not trying to devalue him at all, but just the impression is so funny. That's hilarious. Know? Ashley, what do you think? Are these are these part of the empire? Is this a, an empire bounty, or what are we what are we seeing here? Yeah, so I actually haven't thought too much about what's going on with this scene because I personally kind of want to be surprised by whatever this secret is. Mm -hmm. I want this show to take me places I wouldn't have guessed, and to me, the storm the presence of the stormtroopers means there's probably some kind of imperial connection, but I think there's more going on than we assume. Mm. Kind of my theory is that maybe the client and these stormtroopers are part of some kind of rogue faction that's going to wind up connected to the First Order. I believe I read some article somewhere that this show will delve into a little bit that transition between the Empire at the end of the Return of the Jedi to the First Order and the Force Awakens. And mm. I think there's definitely more going on behind the scenes here that we're just not seeing. And mm -hmm. I'm really curious to learn more about what's going on. I my theory is that there's something here kind of connected to the first order and that will be the gap between return of the Jedi and the force awakens. Mm. That would stuff. be awesome. Yeah. I, I had um, several reactions and then I started uh, even Googling things because I was like, okay, so the, my first reaction was, Oh, these aren't actually connected to the empire because they have the more Daryl's thought process about them being dirty suits that these guys probably just picked up somewhere to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started thinking to myself like, okay, wait a minute. The bounty that they're after is the same species, which doesn't have a name, by the way, I looked that up too, um, as Yoda. Yeah, it or doesn't. There's nothing on it. Ever. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So the Which bounties is, yeah. on that species, the only two members of that species we have ever ever seen are prominent members of the Jedi Order. Yes. So yes. we can assume that a lot of those members of that species may be strong in the Force, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so my thought being that I was like, hey, I'm going to look at some of the logos because they because he has a medallion on that has a logo on it. Um, he also, when he hands over the Beskar, uh, the, the piece of metal that the Mandalorian armor is made out of, that has a symbol on it. Those symbols are very similar. They also are very similar to the Galactic Republic, the Galactic Empire, and some of the Sith logos as well. Ooh. So here's my theory. And actually, you're going to just need to turn off your <laughs> headphones because I, I, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But here's my theory. My theory is that this group is a group that Palpatine set up at some point in the creation of the Galactic Empire that was specifically going to go out and try and root out any of the Jedi to still carry out Order 66. And they perceive this as a threat. This child is a threat. Well, 50-year-old child um, is a threat to their existence and to the to even their ability to control the galaxy. And it's a some sort of an offshoot there. So that's you, my... Have you... Interesting. Have you also seen someone on the internet, because the internet's a beautiful place, um, <laughs> looked into the doctor's patch on his arm? No, it, I did not it, see this. And it looks like, um, it, like a clone doctor or something like that. Oh, oh. that's what the symbol looks like. Yeah. So interesting. There's a lot going on here. <laughs> there's a lot going on here, and obviously we have no clue. Um, but it is certainly. This is what I love about good setups is that all around the table, we said, we love this show. And then we said, this one scene, how do you read it? And we all read it yeah, somewhat differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet we're still really all good. stoked about it. So that's, that's always good. a huge sign of like really cool stuff to come. Um, got a couple more questions here uh, before we finish out. But um, before we talk about the final scene, which is a really important scene, um, I want to ask... Why do you think the Mandalorian? This is a stupid question again, right? I have stupid questions. I don't and think I have this is a stupid no. Questions. I think this is think a this very is good. good question. I like this okay, one good. a lot too. Good, good, good. And then, then uh, the question is: Why do you think the Mandalorian hates droids? And do you see anti-droid views as troubling or funny? And so, part of the reason I asked this question is because obviously in Solo we saw L three three seven, and that character was all about droid rights and, and this kind of thing. And now we see a character who seems to actually hate droids. So yeah, um, I will start with Ashley on this one. Ashley, what do you think? Is this troubling? Is this funny? What is what is this? Yeah, I really like this question because it really made me think. And in terms of the Mandalorian and his feelings about droids, I think there's definitely a backstory here. He has some kind of negative experiences in his past with droids maybe connected to his traumatic childhood or something that he experienced on a bounty hunting job. It's pretty clear that he doesn't trust or like them. And I would say as for whether his bias is troubling, yeah, anytime you're prejudging people based on who or what they are, that's not good. And Star Wars has definitely portrayed droids as sentient within this universe. I mean, like I cried when K2SO died in Rogue One because he was, yes, he was a member of that team. And, Droids like R2-D2 and BB-8 have personalities and have displayed independent decision-making abilities. So I would like to see the show kind of unpack the Mandalorian's feelings about droids and then maybe have him interact with droids and change his views throughout the show. Kind of as we see him, you know, become more human and express more of his feelings and beliefs. And I would like to see him maybe team up with some droids later in the show and kind of revisit his beliefs and some of his biases that he may have going on there. Mm, all right. I like that. Tori, what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I think the flashbacks that we're seeing are, I, I, what I think is happening is it's the, all of those shots and everything and all the things that he, he and his presumably his family are running from. I think those are droids from the, from the Clone Wars. Oh, um, that's, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I think is happening. So I think that, yeah, he hates droids because they essentially took everything from him. Um, I super agree on um, I, I'm hoping and I think we will see um, him have to um, deal with droids more and kind of have that um, idea that he has evolve. I'm I definitely don't think we've seen the last of IG-11. So I think I think IG-11 will they'll probably end up having to do a couple things together in the future. And I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, and I hope his mind will change because I do find it troubling because I agree, you know, droids are basically people in the star Wars universe. So 
All right, Daryl, I feel like you have a counterpoint because I'm sitting in the room with I you. I feel like I'm going to sound like a big old jerk. Right <laughs> <laughs> it's a jerk alert on the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus podcast. Um, I, I don't care about droids. Oh, as a, as oh a, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. The the L3 thing really annoyed me. That's that was one of my least favorite parts of that movie. Oh, I certainly, I mean. It's not a blanket answer. I mean, I certainly would feel bad about seeing someone mistreat C-3PO or R2-D2. Right, right. You know? Only the droids you like. Only the droids I like. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, I don't... So, I mean, there are some that there's an attachment to, sure. Right. But I just... Overall, I just don't resonate with the whole idea of sort of turning the droids into an oppressed... Mm. and a, You know, like sort mm. of an oppressed minority group or whatever... Mm. Whatever that may look like. Is that because you believe that it actually takes away from uh, those people's experiences, like uh, more of like oppressed people groups' experiences in real life? Uh, I hadn't thought that, but I like it. That <laughs> <laughs> right. makes a lot of sense. Um, I know. I guess I just don't. I don't feel the need to make machines a minority. Mm. I don't know. Okay. Um, but I can be. I can be convinced that that's a stupid perspective and I'm totally open to that. Um, I really, really like Tori's answer about the flashbacks. Mm. Um, I hadn't noticed that and that makes me want to completely change my answer. But well, I do think what I put here is still a little bit true. Um, my guess as to why he hated droids was that um, as a bounty hunter, he sort of built himself up as this really good judge of character. Yeah. And he knows people and he understands his targets. Mm. And you can't do that with a droid. A droid uh, is just a machine. You can't read a droid. You can't trust a droid. You can't manipulate a droid emotionally. Yeah, that's very you know? interesting. Yeah, that's... So yeah. that was kind of my take on it. But I really, really love the uh, the flashback theory as well. Mm. Oh, yeah. The flashback theory is amazing. That's like... Yeah, I didn't even think of that. But that sounds 100% correct. Which led me to ask a question to myself that maybe I should ask here. Yeah, what's that? I'm beginning to doubt that... What what if the Mandalorian uh -huh. is not a Mandalorian? Oh yeah. Mm. Well, well, let's let's pause on that because I want to ask that. We'll explore that, but let okay. me give you my thoughts on the robots or the droids, I should say. Um, so I think is it funny or is it troubling? I think I don't that... think it's funny. I will say that I I'm not here for I'm I'm not trying to say like well, let's go kick them in the butt you know like whatever like, like let's destroy droids wherever i'm not trying them. to like demean them i just don't no i get it them. you are you're 100 on the bartender from most Eisley's side <laughs> they're not <Sure>. welcome here <laughs> <laughs> um no no i so okay so my thing is i actually do find it somewhat humorous and i think it's actually played for humor in multiple movies i think actually the l337 was meant to be played for humor as well but the whole those all of those scenes are supposed to be funny that when they show the droids doing the droid uprising like, like it's funny too right like i think they're trying to play with the writers of star wars want us to love droids there's no question about that. There's almost never a droid that you hate, except for the ones that are like torturing other droids, like the ones in what is it, Empire <laughs> yeah. Strikes Back, <laughs> like torturing other droids. But they treat droids like um, like you would see uh, us treat um, dogs in a movie, right? Like they yeah. like we're supposed to love them. They're supposed to be some uh, companions for us. They're supposed to be uh, things that we love. That have personalities, even. Um, so I think that there's definitely a difference between sentient life and pre-programmed machinery. I think droids, the yeah. importance of droids is actually more that they reveal the character of the people around them and how those people treat the droids. Mm -hmm. So like when the bartender says, we don't welcome your kind here, that we're supposed to see that as oppressive and not so that not because we're supposed to necessarily feel really bad about C-3PO and R2-D2 necessarily, but we're so what we're supposed to do is we're I think we're supposed to see that guy as being a jerk, hmm. like oh he's yeah. that he's that kind of guy, right? Um, if he's do, if he's saying that, what other people would he say that to? We're supposed to think that I think, and so I think this will be a character development thing for the Mandalorian. I think he's going to start to turn around and love droids um, over time, and I think that uh, I think Tori's um, theory about 
the battle droids to some degree um blowing up his space is totally accurate um and so so i think that when you look at the characters who hate droids or treat droids badly it's about them it's not about the droids so much yeah i think that's more the way i I look at it and so i find some humor in it but i also find it troubling because then i care about the characters yeah 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 i guess i just maybe sometimes i think there's so many different races and there's so many different cultures in the star wars universe yeah and i'm like if we're gonna introduce a social struggle why why do it with the droids like there's so many other right you know what i mean like I, I love the idea of exploring more corners of this universe. So it's not just about the empire versus the rebels or the first order versus the resistance, you right. know, like I love looking at other things. Rogue yeah. one gave us some of that, you know, yeah. last Jedi so, gave us some of that too. Yeah. So I love that idea. I just, I, I don't know. So before we go to our last question, I want to jump back into your question. So yeah. why don't you raise that question again and then we'll have Tori answer it, then Ashley answer it, and then I'll jump into it. Well, I don't know. I just when uh, Tori, when you were talking about the idea that droids were attacking him and that's you know during the Clone Wars and stuff like that, it made me think, oh, well what if you know, what if in the in the midst of a a war or a battle or something like that, he stole Mandalorian armor and he's hiding as a Mandalorian and Maybe that's why we don't see him take off the mask because mm-hmm. he doesn't want people to know that he's not actually a Mandalorian. I have no reason to think that. I'm yeah. just like, oh, the yeah. show's <laughs> called The Mandalorian. So what if it's all a smokescreen? You know, <laughs> it's an interesting question. Um, I think that um, they definitely set up. You know, he's getting the the best scar back, and he's gonna have his armor made from that. And there's you know the comment made of like, oh, it's good to have that back in the hands of you know our. Um, you know, our clan and all of that. And so I think, I think that that's not totally impossible um, that he, you know, was from somewhere else and then ended up kind of being adopted into a Mandalorian clan or something of that nature. Um, Mm. But I also think that maybe it was also just as likely that he was living on Mandalore. They got wrecked. He lost his family. He's kind of on his own. And this is kind of him finding his way back to his roots and him kind of, because she mentions, you know, have you figured out, you know, your crest yet? And he's like, no. So I think that there's a lot that he's searching for in the way of his past. Mm. So I could go either way. And to be clear, I don't necessarily want him to not be a Mandalorian. <laughs> like, oh, no, I, I mean, I definitely want him to be one, but I, I mean, it's an interesting yeah. question. You know what I mean? And that's like the, people say, oh, Boba Fett's a Mandalorian. Well, technically, not technically, really. Fett's a clone of a Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, Daryl's like, I don't care what he is as long as he kills droids. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, Screw I'm, the droids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, so I think that this question is super fascinating. I never considered that the Mandalorian might not actually be a Mandalorian, but I love that theory. The fact that he has taken on this identity, he is hiding, trying to keep himself secret and safe. And I think that could be a great explanation for why he keeps the mask on, because as soon as he takes it off, people will know, oh, he's not actually the man he's pretending to be. So I love that theory. I think that would be a super cool way to um, explore the story. Yeah, I, I, so here's why I think he's going to be a Mandalorian. Um, because one of the things that I love about now, I've seen this show three times and I did not get this on my first watch. <laughs> I should have gotten on my first watch, but I didn't get it on my first watch because we're going to go into the final scene in a minute. And the reason why that scene is so impactful, especially after you've watched it several times and like it's like really ingrained in you that his, the fact that he was a loner and, and an orphaned. And that he became a foundling. I take foundling to mean that he was uh, not part of a clan and was brought into a clan later. Because she, because why is he did not have armor? Because no armor was passed down to him. Like he had nothing to get. He, his tribe didn't give him anything. That's why he doesn't have a sigil yet either, right? He didn't have anything to, to identify with. Mm-hmm. So I think what's happening is as a foundling, as a Mandalorian who was lost that has been brought back into the I actually like Tori's use of the word clan because technically that feels more correct to me that you keep using tribe in the show. Um, I think that that is really impactful to to him. I think it's really impactful to the reason why he feels like he needs to protect the uh, 
the child, the fifty-year-old child at the end of the at the end of the show, <laughs> um, because he is that child. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. the fa- well, he's the founder. Yeah. He was the one that was orphaned, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it would be weird if they said like, oh, he's the foundling and he cares about other people, but actually he's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that that would kind of throw off some of that theme to me. Um, so I'm going to yeah, go with he's not. He's definitely a Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah I want him. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's yeah. an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's good. We should explore all of those things. All right. Final question. Uh, the end of this episode is pretty amazing. Um, we see that the Mandalorian has found his latest bounty. And it's a creature that looks like, we talked about this earlier, the same species as Yoda and Yaddle. Um, and uh, we still, I've already talked about this. That's a mystery, mystery species. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody on Twitter, uh, when I asked, like, hey, is there, is there um, any questions you have for us? Somebody said, oh, hey, is this, could, this, could this be Yaddle, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, technically Yaddle is dead at this point. But, like, the question then is, like, who is this? Why is this here? We've only seen this these kinds of species before as Jedi. So what do you think? What is this signal for the future of this show? Daryl, I'll start with you this time. What does the appearance of this creature mean for this show? I have no idea, which is so <laughs> exciting. Um, I'm like, meanwhile, I, I'm like rolling up my sleeves over here. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I had to look up Yaddle. I had no idea who that was. What? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a prequels fan. What can I say? <laughs> but uh, um, uh, first of all, I don't know that. Um, I, you're right. We've only seen two of these creatures before. Right. And they were both Jedi. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their whole race is Jedi. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's lots of human Jedis, but that doesn't mean that every human is a Jedi side. Correct. George Lucas likes to do world building, especially in the prequels. So yes, yes. it might've just been like, Oh, let's throw in someone else that looks like Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, right. Cause the ETs are in there. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Any, anything's fair game. Yeah. But I have no idea what it means for the future. It certainly doesn't seem like it's, it can't technically be Yoda cause he's dead, but right, 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 right. I don't know that it's like a, reincarnated yoda or anything like that it certainly seems like a different character but, right but um reincarnated yoda that'd be, that'd be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know what it means and i think that's why mm. i'm so excited about it, it because this show really sparks my imagination mm. and mm-hmm. I'm, i Agreed. love that so much yeah mm-hmm. all right Tori, you roll up your sleeves let's hear it okay thank you so much um <laughs> So as you, cause you were actually touching on it and I was sitting in my seat like, yes, yes. So like, as you said, um, the, really the only two creatures from the species that we've seen previously are really wise, you know, ancient, powerful Jedi. Right. So what are the odds of that? Um, I have kind of been, especially with um, that Freddie Prince Jr. rant that he had. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very recently, very interested in the idea of, um, Star Wars is always about balance. It's always about keeping the balance. It's always about, you know, tipping the scales and all of that. And so um, I'm wondering to myself, like Yoda and Yaddle, whatever species they are, we know literally nothing about it. Um, Clearly these, um, in my opinion, um, ex-Empire, this faction that um, is still trying to kind of complete their work um, is threatened by it. And I feel like I wonder if this entity is the galaxy's answer to like that next question of balance Mm. and like knowing that you know yoda's time was kind of gonna be up yaddle's time is out um and i think it i think the doctor is very invested in it he clearly doesn't want it to be killed he wants to study it and maybe manipulate that Mm. and then you have warner herzog who's just like just kill it because then we don't have to worry about it it's done the other side does not have it Right, right. So I think there's just a lot of questions to be answered about what kind of a species is this? What are the capabilities of the species? Clearly, they've been important before. Mm. So. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Ashley, what do you think? Yeah, that's great. I think that's all really intriguing. Um, The answer that I put down is pretty much like yours, Daryl. I have no idea what the revelation at the end of that episode means. And that really excites me. Like, 
I don't want the first Star Wars live action series to be predictable or easy to guess what's going to happen. Um, yeah. I love all the questions that this is inspiring. Like, is this creature connected to Yoda? Is this creature force sensitive? Why are people willing to kill in order to protect or capture this creature? Like some mm -hmm. people are willing to give their lives to keep it safe and other people are willing to risk their lives to destroy it. So there's definitely something big going on here. Um, mm. I like it because it's definitely not what I expected the Mandalorian's bounty to be. And, you know, it could be possible that he knows something about this creature, but it also could simply be that he just has compassion for this, you know, childlike creature. It's not what he expected. And it kind of gives him pause when he didn't expect it to. So I am super curious to see where this all goes in the future episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting, it's right? Because like it's kind of we kind of know that Werner Herzog and his crew are. Uh, I shouldn't say we know. We we have a very distinct thought process that his that they're bad because yes. because because of what Werner Herzog says when he's like, hey, if you want to bring it back dead, that's cool too, right? Because like yeah, oh, yeah, kid, dude, like come on. Um, so we we kind of get the the impression that they're bad, but. I was also under the impression that the dudes that were um, in control of this of this this young fifty years young creature, um, I thought they were bad because everyone was because even the Nick Nolte character was talking about how we need to remove these people from the area because they're really causing problems and all this. So what's interesting to me is that this whatever whoever, whatever this character turns out to be this Yoda Yaddle species character. I hope, really hope they give us a name so we can actually use the name of the species. Yeah, I want to know the species name so bad. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we should strike Yaddle from our <laughs> description of this character. Just be like the Yoda-like. Yeah, Yoda -like <laughs> I mean, come yeah on. maybe. But, did so Yaddle I, even have a line? No, she did not. Yeah. I don't think she ever said. Oh, no, no, she did. She did say one line, I believe. I got to go back and look at that. But I, I think she had one line. Mm. Um. Anyways, regardless of that, one thing that I think would be fascinating because I think they're starting to hint at this in the Disney era. And this would be truly mind-blowing. What if Yoda, after the events of Revenge of the Sith, realized some of what was wrong with the Jedi Order in regards to attachments? And what if this is actually the child of Yoda and Yaddle? And that's why it could be so powerful in the Force. Because Yoda went, you know what? This whole attachment thing is real bad for everybody. And we tend to see him as more of a wise character. And I'm wondering if he broke the chain of saying, like, we shouldn't mm -hmm. have attachments. And this is the this is the product of Yoda's lineage and, and perhaps Yaddle's lineage as well. That would be something. 50 mm -hmm. years gives us about that ability to see that right i think maybe <laughs> i don't know yeah I, the only the only thing with that is the timeline does it add up yeah well yaddle like would have had to survive yaddle yeah, would have exactly. had to survive uh -huh. uh -huh. yeah. and then it would have had to happen sometime when yoda was on dagobah i assume sometime yeah. in there so yeah this is a dagobah crazy booty call crazy <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. yeah well my theory is crazy too so yeah yeah it's i mean this when you're on episode one, I think crazy theories are kind of what you just naturally go to because you don't have that much information. <laughs> well, and but. it's so fun to think about what could be, you know. And I mean, I agree in that, you know, I would like to be surprised as well, but I yeah. can't help but think about what could be. I know it's pretty crazy. Um, all right, well then we're gonna close out the show right there. Uh, we spent about an hour and five minutes talking about a forty minute. <laughs> episode of television uh which is fantastic um there's just so much to, there's so much to break down in this show tori before we go can you tell all of the listeners what you're up to where they can find you and follow you and all that good stuff yeah um i'm a scenic and special effects makeup artist i'm based in orlando florida um so you can kind of follow i post a lot about um i'm also kind of trying to get an etsy shop off the ground so um, but I post a lot of my projects on my Instagram and my Twitter. So my Instagram is at Boba Fox and my Twitter is at Tori Fett. Um, and my Etsy shop is Creature Cartel. Nice. That's awesome. So there definitely you go. go. <laughs> yeah, definitely go follow Tori. And then Ashley Pauls, in addition to writing blogs for us, what else are you up to, Ashley? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JediAsh1, tweeting mostly about Star Wars. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and I also blog for the uh, Earth Station One podcast, movie reviews, and other entertainment content. Mm, very, very nice. Cool. And you guys all know Daryl and I, so we don't need to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Good to go. Good to go. 
Well, that's it for today's show. Special thanks to Tori, Daryl, and Ashley for joining me, Jay Shear. Make sure you subscribe to the Story Geeks Talk Disney Plus so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes on The Mandalorian. We're going to do this very same thing after every single episode. We've got lots of good guests lined up. You don't want to miss those. Subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider. And while you're at it, make sure you check out the Story Geeks podcast as well. That's our sister show. We're doing a Star Wars series over there, and you don't want to miss any of that content either. Also, if you want to support us, think about becoming a member of the Story Geeks Club. Everyone who signs up at the $3 tier and above gets to vote on all of the upcoming shows and series that we do. So we would love for you to become one of our club members. For more information on how to do that or to find more information on the Story Geeks Network, visit thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. You can become part of the club for only $2 a month. Our friendly neighborhood club members get access to my almost daily journals, which are short podcasts that I record almost daily. If you upgrade to $3 a month, you get to vote on upcoming show topics. At $5 a month, what we call our Guardians of the Solar System tier, you get all our discussion questions and prompts before each show comes out. Our Guardians of the Solar System are Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Ray DeLeon, and Wade Johnson. At the $8 a month tier, the tier we call our Cosmic Heroes, you get to choose an aftercast topic for every series. Our Cosmic Heroes are Jim Baldwin, Monty Thigpen, and Nick Prokop. And finally, at $19 a month, you get a free t-shirt and you get to join us on an aftercast every single month. Our one extra special mastermind of multiverse madness is Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.